If you guys would join me, and I'd like to pray for God to mess with people. So if you guys are not down with that, you don't have to join me, but uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for a great uh, Easter weekend celebrating you all weekend long. We thank you, Lord, for that. It uh, is a renewing time for so many of us. And Father, we pray for every person who really needed to hear and wrestle with that identity issue of who they are in Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would just, by your spirit, pursue, chase down, convict, convince, uh, give illumination and sight, uh, Lord, that only you can give to cause, Lord, those who are there but perhaps not here very often to really say, you know, I want to begin to live in according to who God says I am in Christ. And we're praying for that. We pray that for ourselves, Lord, here tonight. Just because we're here, we don't get some gold star or anything. We're asking, Lord, that you help us to be a people who live according to our new identity in Christ, dead indeed to sin and alive to God. Thank you, Lord. And we pray that you bless our time in your word and in prayer tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, just a reminder here at Agape Nights uh, for this year, uh, the, the uh, second Tuesday or second Wednesday of uh, each month, we've uh, decided to go through John 14 through 17. And just a quick reminder, these are the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples, likely in the upper room um, before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to be arrested and then ultimately the next day die. So these are last words. These are important words. They're very intimate, very close. They're preparatory words. He's preparing his disciples uh, for what they will need when he departs. Um, and he's warning them, of course, of his death, but promising them his resurrection and then promising them as well the age of the spirit that is going to come. And uh, I've chosen these words for our meditation this year together because, uh, to me, these are words that the church desperately needs to engage with in the current era that we are in. We've got to think through how to be the church uh, in times, uh, whether it's hostility or darkness or difficulty. We've got to figure out how to be the church, and I think the church has really grappled with this in some funky ways over the last couple of years and so my prayer is that we'd go back to what Jesus said and try to be that version. Because that early church version, uh, they figured some stuff out. The Spirit was powerful in their midst. So if we could be just a tenth of what they were, I think we'd see incredible fruit come out of our lives. Uh, and also, just a reminder, as we're going through this passage, I'm not kind of, I'm not doing the classic exposition. These passages are just way too long to be able to cover it in depth. So I'm going to read a long passage. I want you guys to read along with me, and I've got a handful of thoughts to share with you about this passage tonight. So tonight we're in John 14, verse 15 to 31, and uh, I've got a a message title for this one, and it's Pneumatological Orthodoxical Orthopraxy. <laughs> That's just my fun way of saying what we need to be is spirit-fueled, Bible-saturated, obedient people. Uh, so let's read about that in this passage today. Verse 15, Jesus writing, or speaking, John writing, said, if you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live you also will live. In that day, verse 20, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Uh, Then, verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, uh, this might be Thaddeus, Uh, called Thaddeus in other places in the Gospels, uh, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And, of course, he asked that question because of what Jesus said. Look back in verse 19. Jesus said, the world won't see me, but you will see me. And then in verse 21, he said, "Uh, if you keep my commandments... I will, you're going to be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So he wants to know, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. That word home, we actually thought about last agape night when he talked about going away to prepare a home or a place for us. The only two times that word is used here in the Gospel of John. Whoever, verse 24, does not love me, does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard, verse 28, me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. In other words, you would have been happy for me that I'm going back to glory. Uh, When Jesus said the Father is greater than I, he's talking about he's greater than me in office and in current station. Jesus had embraced humanity and humiliation, but of course the Father and Son are the same in purpose and essence. God is one. And now he said in verse 29, I have told you before it takes place, before what takes place? Well, before he dies, before he rises, before the Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, verse 30, for the ruler of this world is coming. Judas was on his way, empowered by Satan. Uh, He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father commanded me. So a reminder that the events of the cross were sovereignly orchestrated by God, even though he was using Judas to accomplish that purpose. Uh, So that, he says in verse 31, the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, Let us go from here. And I think I mentioned to you in our first teaching on this passage of Scripture that 
That's a little bit of a confusing statement at the very end there when he says, rise, let us go from here, because then in chapter 18, verse 1, it says, and then they got up and went across the brook Kidron. And so you kind of try to figure out what's happening, and I think it was... Uh, just like a group of people who are like, let's go to the movies tonight, and then three hours later, they actually leave. I think that's what was happening. Jesus said, let's go, and it took a little while because he had a few more things to say, some stuff to pray, and then they finally departed. But you know, I put it in the, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask, file, you know, when did you actually leave the upper room? Okay, um, what I want to say tonight is that there are uh, t- to me, this passage, it's like, a, it's like a three-legged stool. There are three things that the church must have, and if you don't have one of them, then uh, the stool falls over. That You cannot be effective as an individual or as a group of believers without all three of these things. And the three things are we, we need the Spirit, number one, we need the Word, number two, and we need obedience, number three. Uh, if, you, if you have obedience... Uh, but the word is not present, what in the world are you going to be doing? What stuff will you be obeying? There are churches that are trying this right now. We're going to try orthopraxy without orthodoxy. Uh, We don't need to be tied to the ancient historic doctrines of Christianity. We can just do good stuff. But the second that you go down that route, you begin wandering away from true Christian orthodoxy. Uh, But... You can't just say, I'm going to be biblical and not do anything. No, to be biblical means to respond to the Bible. But you also can't just say, I'm going to be a biblical, obedient person and try to do it in your own might and power and strength. You need the, the Holy Spirit to empower you and to motivate you and to gift you and to drive you forward. So we need all of these elements. We need the Spirit, we need the Word, and we need obedience. So I want to think about uh, those three elements from this passage that we just read uh, together, because this is Jesus' prescription to his church, his prescription to his disciples, and I think his prescription for us. So let's think first, very quickly, about how we need the Spirit. And by uh, the way that I'd like to think about this category is to first look at some of the titles or ways that Jesus describes the Spirit in the big paragraph that we just uh, read together. Um, can anybody see uh, what's, what's one of the first ways that Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in this passage? Sometimes when I'm having devos with my daughter, June, I'll ask her these kind of questions, and she squirms in her seat, you know, like, Dad, this is awkward, you know, but she's gotten used to it as the years. So what's one of the first ones that you see? Just say it. Helper, helper. helper yeah, helper. That's in verse 16. And then he repeats it again in verse 26. It's the Greek word paraclete, to come alongside of, to help. Uh, The word before helper is important, though, because Jesus says another helper, another helper. That word another means not another of lesser kind and quality, but another of the same kind and quality. The disciples, you have to imagine, you know, three and a half years rocking it with Jesus, they're worried. He's talking about being crucified, leaving, departing, you're not going to see me anymore, stuff like that, and they're panicked. And so he's calming them with, don't worry, when I go, I'm going to pray to the Father to give you another helper of the same quality and kind as me. 
I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. In the same way that I've led you, guided you, taught you, instructed you, blessed you, provided for you, defended you, uh, the Spirit of God is going to help you uh, in that way. Okay, what's another title that you see there for the, the Holy Spirit in this passage? Anybody? Spirit of Truth in verse 17. That's a great one. So uh, we see first that the Spirit, he's helping. That means to come alongside of kind of a jack-of-all-trades kind of assistance to us. But Spirit of Truth, that would indicate more of illumination, correction, bringing us into right thinking, right thought. Um, what's another one that you guys might see that he uses to describe the Spirit? Advocate, that comes from the, what version are you in? Is that the New King James Version? Yeah. That's what I grew up on, and that's why I recognized it, because that's another helper. That's parakletos, so the same, same word. Another title that Jesus uses for the Spirit is all the way down in verse 26. He calls him the Holy Spirit. Okay? I don't want to throw this one out, because sometimes we're like, oh, yeah, that's just his name. The Holy Spirit, what that means is that the Spirit, one of the things, one of his primary functions is to sanctify us, to grow us. He wants to make us holy like God is holy, all right? So it's not just his name, it's part of his function. He is to make us holy. A couple of others, just to speed this through a little bit, that aren't as obvious that Jesus is calling the Spirit. One would be found in verse 18 and uh, 19, uh, he talks about how I will come to you. And then he says in verse 19, you will see me. I think, I, I don't think he's, I mean, it could go either way. There's a chance what he's saying is I'm gonna rise from the dead and you'll see me. That's a, a viable interpretation of what Jesus is saying. But in the context, it seems like he probably is saying, I'm going to rise, ascend pour out the Spirit, and you're going to see me in that way. And that would really be consistent with other passages in the New Testament where Jesus or the authors refer to the Spirit as the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ. Uh, the Holy Spirit's role, what he does so often is to glorify Jesus, exalt Jesus, and produce Jesus in the lives of God's people. So you might say the Spirit of Christ you might even say, if you look at verse 19, he says at the very end of verse 19, because I live, you also will live. And I think, again, in the context of this, Jesus is talking about, I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to give you guys the spirit. I mean, earlier he said, he's with you right now. One day he will be in you. The third person of the Trinity is going to live inside of you. And so here when he says, uh, because I live, you will live, I think what he might be saying is, because I'm going to rise from the dead, that will unlock the ability for me to give you spiritual life, to give you the Holy Spirit. And that might remind us of a title that Jesus used of the Holy Spirit in another place when he called the Holy Spirit living water in uh, John chapter 7, the Holy Spirit referring to him as living water. So you got a bunch of titles for the Holy Spirit throughout this passage. Helper, Spirit of Truth, Spirit of Christ, Living Water, the Holy Spirit. Um, verse 26, he doesn't say it specifically, but he talks about the, how the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. So you could even say the Holy Spirit as teacher. 
which by the way, I did want to mention to you guys when it says there in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That is not a verse to us. It's not a verse to you or to me. It's a verse to the original disciples that were gathering together there. Jesus was saying to them, basically, because I haven't died yet, because I haven't risen yet, and because the Spirit hasn't come yet, you guys have no clue what I've been talking about. You're not able to interpret the things that I've done yet. But after I ascend and pour out the Spirit, the Spirit will bring to your remembrance all the things I did, all the things I said, and will help you understand what they meant so that you can teach the early church and also write the New Testament for believers to be able to partake of for generations uh, to come. So can the Holy Spirit teach you? Absolutely. Can he remind you of things? Absolutely. Will there be a time every once in a while where the Spirit brings into your remembrance where you put your car keys? Perhaps. But that verse is about Jesus talking to the disciples about how they would be the authors of the New Testament, the apostolic authority of God's word. Okay, so the first thing I'm trying to talk about tonight is we need the Spirit. We need all these functions of the Spirit. We need the help of the Spirit. We need him to illuminate uh, the truth for us. We need him to glorify, exalt, clarify, point to, and produce Jesus in our lives. We need the living water aspect of the Holy Spirit to bring life to us. We need uh, him to produce sanctification in our lives. He's the Holy Spirit. And uh, if the disciples needed him or the apostles needed him to remind them and instruct them so that they could record scripture for us, then we need the help of the Spirit in studying the things that they said and the things that they wrote and that the early church believed. Uh, Before I move on to the second one, we need the word. I just want to point out to you how in the early parts of this passage, uh, when Jesus said that he was going to pray for the Spirit to come, Uh, He said in verse 17, uh, you guys know him already, basically, my paraphrase, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Uh, Maybe you guys have heard the analogy before of like a, you've got like a a glass that is not filled with water and a pitcher filled with water that is next to the glass. That was similar to the way it was like for the disciples when they were walking with Jesus. The Spirit The water in the glass was not in them as individuals yet during Jesus' earthly ministry. He couldn't be in them because Jesus had to be the first to partake of resurrection life. Uh, It was only after that that Jesus gathered with his disciples and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And I think that's when this passage was fulfilled where he said, he's with you right now, but one day he's going to be in you. And they were regenerated. They were born again. They received a new nature, like we've been talking about on Sundays in Galatians. So they still had a flesh, but they were made new in the sight and image of God. That indwelling presence of God's Spirit uh, is there to grow and sanctify us, mature us, to nudge us along into Christ's likeness, to Uh, produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as we walk with him, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Christian maturity inwardly happens because of the Spirit of God working in our lives. In the book of Acts, 
the Spirit began to come upon the church as well. So Jesus said he'll be with you, he'll be in you. But in the book of Acts, you see that the Spirit who was within these disciples began to come upon them at different moments. You have all these different passages. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit came upon Peter. And whenever you see those kind of words, filling or upon of the Spirit, uh, it generally is categorized for ministering to other people. Uh, so the giftings that God will give to you. Uh, the Corinthian church was wildly gifted. If you read the book of 1 Corinthians, they were wildly gifted. Uh, and so the Spirit was working through them in lots of ways. Uh, but they were not responding very well to the Spirit inside of them. They weren't highly sanctified people. I, I like to think of it like this. You, you could be a great preacher based on the upon of the Holy Spirit, but a rotten person because you're not responding to the inward ministry of the Holy Spirit. So as Christians, what do we want? We want both, right? We want to have the character that God is building in us by his spirit, but we also want to be gifted by the Lord for all that he's asking us uh, to do. This, uh, this whole passage, by the way, was a really important for one for me early on in my Christian life and experience. When I was 18 years old, I had a a professor at the Bible college I was at who explained this passage, among many other passages, about the Holy Spirit and then invited us to pray that the Spirit of God would come upon our lives and empower us for whatever he wanted to empower us for, whatever gifts he wanted us to receive. And, uh, you know, as a poor, broke college student, when I heard it was free, I said, yeah, I'm, I'll try anything. And uh, so they all prayed for me and... Uh, Pretty soon, I began sensing strong inclinations to uh, devote my life to the teaching of the Bible. All right, so that's the first thing, though. We need the Spirit. Second, number two, we need the Word. We need the Word. Uh, throughout this passage, there's different ways that the Word is talked about. In verse 15, 21, 23, 24, and 25, the Word is referred to as either Jesus' commandments or Jesus' words. Uh, verse 17, we have the spirit of truth. And then interestingly, in verse 24, he talks about the Father's words. He says, they're, all, all my commandments, all my words, they're not actually mine, but they're, they're the Father's. I'm saying what the Father wants me to say, uh, which is highly instructive because a father defines, a father guards, a father provides uh, a father teaches, a father nurtures, all right? So it's the word of the father. Uh, so we need to be word-centered people. I've been reading recently, I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, an author named uh, Trevin Wax. Uh, he's a great theologian, and uh, I'm about finished with a book that he wrote called The Thrill of Orthodoxy. And uh, it's very appropriate for what I'm actually talking about tonight. It was kind of an unplanned thing. But his whole premise is that, and I really agree with it, is that uh, we're in a time where uh, we, we have to recapture as God's people the absolute thrill of the old, ancient, core, true doctrines of Christianity. Uh, and one of the things that he mentions is, and I think this is a great kind of diagnostic 
to help you discover if you're bored with them. <laughs> because the second that you get bored with them, you start drifting from them in weird directions. But he said a, gr a great diagnostic is if you ever say the words, of course, in relationship to the deep and majestic and beautiful doctrines of Scripture, that the, 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 the basic ancient creeds kind of explained to the early church. If, if you ever say things like, you know, all, all that is important, all, all that is great, of, of course I believe in those things, but don't you think we need to? Or but don't you think we should? Or but don't you think right now we should really focus on the second that you lose your, it's like being on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you're just staring at this incredible sight and you know, someone drives up with like a sweet minivan and you're like, look, look at that. You know, of course, I don't know, that illustration just came to me, so <laughs> it's kind of a C minus. <laughs> but man, I mean, the glory of the gospel, the incredible truths of who God is. So some people kind of try to build this case, like what we need is for Christians to like not think about doctrine and, and, and orthodoxy and, and theology as much. I, I beg to differ. I think we need to think about it more than we do. We live in a time where we need more nuanced, careful, well-spoken, articulate answers anyways. How are you gonna get that by just kind of feeling it out? But then secondly, what we have is a precious possession. And it is worthy of a lifetime of study and devotion. You know, we, we used to be in a time where it was really important for churches to kind of delineate themselves. I don't know if it was really important, but, but it seemed important for churches to delineate themselves from other churches by clarifying their, their view on secondary issues because everybody generally held to the same primary doctrines. Uh, so it was really important to know whether the church you were going to was complementarian or egalitarian. Uh, but we live in an age now where people have kind of majored on a lot of those secondary things and they don't even know the core doctrines of the Christian faith very well. And so we need the word is what I'm trying to say. Uh, we've got to have, along with the spirit, the word of God. Okay, and then the last one that I wanted to point out, I've already given you all three. So we need the spirit, we need the word, but we also need uh, to obey. That's really clear throughout the whole passage. I mean, it start, starts out with a bang in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, this is all over the passage. He repeats that same line in verse 21, 23, and 24. He concludes the whole thing by saying, that's basically what I'm doing. He says, I do as the Father has commanded me. And this is gonna be evidence to the whole world that I love the Father. I've obeyed him to the point of death on the cross. Uh, but it's important 
to point out that every time that Jesus talks about obedience, he talks about how it needs to happen because of love. If you love me, you keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, he said in verse 21. If anyone loves me, verse 23, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. This is, this is part of the reason why the orthodoxy I just talked about is so important because that's what helps you continue to fall in love with him. And then your obedience is springing from the right place. You know, that's, that's the reason why our, our vision here at Calvary is Jesus famous. Sometimes we'll even say we want to make Jesus famous. It's not really actually the thing. What we want is we want every individual to feel that Jesus is incredible. That then launches us out into the kind of obedience that Jesus is talking about here. It's kind of a, a, a root or foundational element that must be present. We need to obey. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what more there is to say about that except to just say, I think if we're honest... Uh, you know, sometimes we wonder, like, where's the power of the Spirit? I think the Spirit is fully ready to, to do lots of great things. Uh, and the Spirit has definitely has a long track record of using uh, impure vessels to accomplish his purpose. And he definitely has a long track record of using imperfect vessels to accomplish his purposes. Uh, but, you know, when poll after poll comes out and study after study comes out that shows, like, there's really just not that much of a difference between the way people in the church live and the way that people in the world live in the West, it just kind of leads you to conclude, oh, there's just a ton of disobedience. And how can we expect the power of the Spirit to invade us, flood us, and then use our lives with that kind of disobedience just so common uh, in our lives. Now, what can, you, what can you do about that? You know, I mean, it's like you, you can't change other people, so it's, it's definitely an individualized uh, conversation, right, to really make sure I want to be obedient to the Lord. I want to grow in my obedience to the Lord. But I think it's also, and I'm going to talk about this this Sunday. You can really pray for me because this Sunday I'm feeling led as we're going through Galatians. You get to that Galatians 5 part where it's, we're talking about the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And then Paul's like, here's the works of the flesh and here's the fruit of the spirit. And most of the time as a preacher, you get to that section and it's just like the works of the flesh. Let's just read it. And like, it's just disgusting. We don't want to think about it very long. And we just blow through that. And then it's like, but the fruit of the spirit but um, I'm feeling really led this Sunday to do a whole teaching on the works of the flesh. Not because I want to beat anybody up. I, don't, I have no interest in doing that. But because these are the very things that God is trying to rescue us from all over and over again. And they're alive in us. And we could slip into every single one of them. So let's know what they are. Let's think about how we can uh, withdraw from those and instead be filled with the Spirit. But, man, we need... Uh, to obey. Uh, David Joannes, who is, uh, leads the uh, organization uh, within Reach Global that our 
uh, young adults and uh, teenagers are going on a mission trip to Thailand with this summer, said in one of the books that he wrote, God delights in the obedient human response to a divine calling. It's his good pleasure to honor the willing heart, lauding obedience, even glorifying an earthen vessel by infusing it with all surpassing power. God is looking for that. He's looking for that willing, obedient heart. So, um, so yeah, that's what we need. We need the spirit, we need the word, and we need obedience. So, all done. We're good. We're going to have a revival now because uh, I, I finally explained it to you guys. That's what we need. <laughs> so, we, we all recognize this is easier you know, said than done. So, I just thought now we could have a time where we wait on the Lord a little bit and we pray uh, together. Uh, so I think for me, as I'm kind of just been thinking about this, um, I got a lot of feedback last time I shared just about like, man, Nate, I love that. I want to see God do a revival. Every, look, every revival that's ever happened, it's just God deciding for one. It's his sovereign plan and purpose. But there is also the painful process of the church confessing and getting, getting themselves into a right place before God. So it's fun to wanna, want the outward stuff, but to, to it basically when, when I'm saying I want a revival, I'm like, it's like, to me, it's like saying, God, I want you to perform surgery on me. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, you know, that's not always exciting to go through. I thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I will give you guys an update. I'm, I have a doctor's appointment to go get checked out. You guys know how hard it is to get in to see the right people these days. So I'm going to see the right person next month. So I'm hopeful. But uh, let's confess to the Lord a little bit and ask the Lord to to heal us, to forgive us, to cleanse us. And I'm not asking any of you to be, you know, overly personal, which I realize in a group this size, you know, like some people don't understand what that means. <laughs> so I'm just gonna throw it out there and trust you. But if there's something that you're sensing, like I, I need to I need to confess my sins to the Lord in front of my brothers and sisters in Christ, that's fine. You know, James chapter five tells us that when we confess our sins, to one another, we will be healed. And uh, so if, if you're being weird about it, I'll just ask you to uh, share with me personally afterwards, and I'll make it weird for a moment. But I, I, I like you guys. I think we can do this together. So let's just pray. Let's see where the Lord takes us.